of Damon Lindelof, your absolute most favorite lost watch slash rewatch podcast, depending on who which host you most identify with, where every single week we watch episodes of Lost, we talk about what's going on on your most favorite uh, crazy deserted slash maybe not deserted island. I still don't know yet. I don't know if people in suits really count as island inhabitants, but maybe I'll find out next week. I'm Daniel. And we're here, episode two, we're going to be talking about Lost Season 1, episode three, Tabula Rosa, and season one, episode four, Walkabout. Eric, why don't you, why don't you take us on a little walkabout through these episodes and tell me what, what was going on? Well, so uh, these episodes are Kate and Locke-centric episodes, respectively. Uh, so our first episode involves uh, uh, Mars, I think, the uh, the bounty hunter slash man who had kate in cuffs uh really suffering and potentially going to die from his uh wound uh and we have our flashbacks to kate in australia as she is crashing in this very friendly old man's barn and she decides to work for him but turns out she's actually just going to dip in the middle of the night and he offers her a place to stay and work and all these things, but she's like, nah. And so then he convinces her to stay just a little bit longer so he can drive for the next morning, but it's because he's going to turn her in because he really needs the money for his uh, for his farm. And so that gives us kind of the backstory as to how Kate got arrested. Uh, we don't know what she did because uh, that hinges on a lot of the thematic undertones of this episode because it ends with Jack saying that it doesn't matter what they did uh, before they were on the island, it matters who they are now. In terms of other stuff that happens on the island in that episode, I don't know why I'm spacing, but it's primarily that drama uh, mixed with Locke helping get uh, Vincent back with his makeshift dog whistle. (laughs) And then our next episode is uh, having Locke uh, wanting to go on an old boar hunt because the boars are getting at all the bodies and so then uh they propose having a memorial service for all of these bodies uh rose <laughs> who jack stupidly told uh that, that the turbulence was not going to be a big deal and that they were going to be fine turns out uh it wasn't because the plane crashed but uh she's convinced that her husband's still alive we don't have any real confirmation as to as to what makes her say that or who her husband is and all that jazz but yeah, and then our uh, our flashbacks in that episode are great. We have uh, Locke <laughs> working in a really, really terrible office uh, and having a phone sex operator be his girlfriend, question mark. And so they are going to go on a walkabout in Australia. And uh, part of the framing twist is that John Locke was in a wheelchair that whole time and suddenly was able to walk when he's on the island. Um, I'm probably missing a few other things. Oh, Jack also is seeing the ghost <laughs> or someone else on the island. We have no clue what that is. But uh, yeah, Daniel, what did you think of these episodes? I overall really enjoyed these two. I think I liked the fourth more than the third. We can get into yeah. the details of that a little bit. But I like how kind of still early on we're dealing with a lot of kind of survival things 
mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, there's some supernatural fucked up shit going on here, but also it's like, all right, we need to we need to have a system for getting food and water, and mm-hmm. oh, there's wild animals uh, attacking uh, the remnants of the plane because there's meat in there for them. Right. So, yeah, I think that that was all fun. I really. <laughs> Uh, it, again, I didn't know kind of how the framing of, oh, this is a so-and-so centric episode was going to be. I assumed flashbacks considering we're, you know, still kind of getting to know these characters and that's an effective way of doing it. I do have some thoughts on maybe kind of the ethos of the ending of season or of episode three, but we yeah. can get into that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I generally agree with you. Um, I know that the third episode, like most Kate episodes is always received questionably um the fourth episode um if you're not acutely familiar i think i've talked about this with you outside of the podcast but it's wildly considered one of the best episodes of the series um overall primarily because of the narrative tricks it's pulling and formal tricks it's pulling with respect to uh using extreme close-ups and all these like formal components that work really really well in comparison to how the stuff on the island is shot, but also how a lot of the other flashbacks are shot. So yeah, I mean, what else? What else stuck out to you from these episodes? What do you want to latch on to first? I, let, let's kind of dive into like the meat of you know, kind of the flashbacks. Let's start with Locke, since I think his flashbacks are way better. Yeah, because like that big kind of like reveal at the end where it's revealed that he's in a wheelchair off the island. Yeah. I don't know if it's just me and that I'm like slow, but the way it like builds to everything. You're kind of like, man, why, why is he kind of like, you know, very defensive? Why are people kind of treating him shitty? Is yeah. it just because he's old? Question mark. Because <laughs> right. he's not really that much of That's, an old man. That is how they're positioning it. Like for for you narratively, because people have commented that he's old. So you're just like, oh, it's just because he's an old man. <laughs> but he's really, I, I don't know he's how not. old the actor was when they filmed this. But I'm like, he's probably like early 60s. He's not ancient, but yeah. Yeah. But then they have, like, that very effective, like, dramatic cut to him in the wheelchair. And I maybe I just have, like, a dumb brain, but I was just, you kind of, your immediate reaction is like, oh, so that's why he's, everyone's kind of acting this way. It's because he's in a wheelchair. And then there's a beat, and you're like, wait a minute, no, he's not. <laughs> and then and then you, it re-shows that opening scene from the island of him, like, moving uh-huh. his foot and just standing up. And the music is incredible in that mm-hmm. scene. And you're just like, wait, wait, what? In the Best right. way possible. Yeah. So the thing that I love about this episode, even rewatching it, I, I'm, I can see, I can see the moments where you're just like, oh, that could be a like visual clue that like he's either not used to being able to walk or, uh, you know, all these respective things. Especially like when the episode opens with him looking at his toes and wiggling them, but then you realize it's because he's like, well, where the hell are my shoes? And so that's that's what you think it's about because he's looking for his shoes right after that. And then there's also a few other moments that are like hinting at it to a degree, right? Like one of the only like long shots that we get in this episode is when he's laying in bed and he's sitting, you know, very clearly straight up and his legs are straight and like he's talking on the phone and it's meant to isolate him visually. And it's supposed to be like, wow, look how, you know, he's like fully dressed in bed and seems all formal. And like, there's so many things that you're latching onto that, you, you know, there is no wheelchair in that, in that entire shot. There's no like, there's no other visual clues, but there, there are moments where it's starting to make sense as to why they're positioning it this way. Um, that I think re- even rewatching it is still tremendously effective. Also, like, there's a few interesting tidbits in here, right? Like, as you noted, 
he can fucking walk now. Like, that's a big deal. Like, narratively, that's opening up this whole can of worms as to, like, what the hell? Why can he walk on the islands? Like, that? What, what happened? But also, like, he notes when he's talking, you know, about his, quote, medical condition to the walkabout leader, he says that he's had this condition for four years, right? So it's, it's a relatively new level of uh, not being able to walk that I think is... Also something that's narratively interesting. There's a lot of lot of tidbits here that are just that are doled out really masterfully, I think, um, in these flashbacks. Yeah, I think that all like really the fourth episode overall works really well to shift over to the less enthusiastic side. <laughs> I I didn't think Kate's flashbacks were terrible. I didn't think they were super exciting. Right. I do have to mention the uh, unexpected parallels to uh, Dexter Season 8, where once again we have uh, one of our female characters uh, intentionally crashing a car that someone else is driving mm-hmm. and then going back to uh, save the driver who they put in danger in the, to begin with. Right. But uh, just kind of the ending of that where it's kind of like you said we don't know like what exactly she did to have a $23,000 bounty put on her head and then at the end Jack is like well it doesn't matter our old selves are dead whoa all that matters is what we are on the island now it's kind of like I can see that perspective but like so far through the through literally everything a lot of character and stories being revealed through flashbacks so it's like you can claim that's kind of the ethos of this but clearly <laughs> the past matters y'all uh yeah no i think that that's a that's a really good point uh i think i think one of the things that i find really interesting about that message at the end is i actually don't fully think it's jack being like whatever it like it doesn't matter if past selves are dead i think he's also doing it as a means of like alleviating kate's emotional duress that she's possibly under at that moment and still maybe having questionable, you know, uh, question marks about Kate's character, right? We see a lot of those things emerge throughout that episode. Also, with the way that Hurley behaves around her is very amusing. Um, but yeah, no, I think that I think that as we move forward, it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. And I think that you're getting at something as well that one of the things that I really appreciate about Lost that that other shows have attempted to do, but oftentimes do it much more as what feels like a gimmick, is that the thing that's really fascinating about this structure is that we always obviously seem to know more than the characters, but the show does a very good job at like limiting POV with respect to, you know, reveals, right? Of like, what is Locke looking at when, you know, his, he's very clearly seeing something. And then they're like, did you see the monster? Did you see something out there? And he says, no, there's so many levels of how this point of view is being limited with respect to the audience knowing something with respect to like who who you know who is a step ahead in terms of knowing respective things about how things work that i think it there, there's just levels to it with respect to we might know something but a character doesn't but this we know what this character knows but this character doesn't know that thing and it's because of the fact that they're all new to each other like this is a you know, they don't know anything about their backstories right that's kind of one of the main messages in these episodes and i think it does a really really good job at showcasing that as that's going to eventually of course deepen and deepen as we keep going uh throughout the series no and i i get what you're saying and i i just kind of wonder if kind of i do agree that jack's probably trying to you know like you said alleviate some of kate's guilt and anxiety but i also again wonder how much of that is kind of a quasi half half committed half not committed like oh you're not always gonna get the answers but it doesn't matter thing that seems like it's gonna piss people off later on in the show 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong about, uh, like, you're not going to get the answer to everything about everything in this show. That's just, that's going to be the innate uh, problem that a lot of people have had with this show and that people will probably continue to have with this show. But I don't know, for me, I, yeah, I, I think that, I think that this is setting up a lot of interesting um, thematic undertones that are going to keep carrying through these episodes. Um, but well, yeah, what, what else stuck out to you from from these? So we have our main flashback A plots in both that kind of connect with the stuff happening on the island. In episode three, it's what to do with, I already forgot what he said his name was, but the bounty hunter that was after Kate, who yeah. Jack is trying to take care of. And then also the boar hunt as they're trying to find food. I... Weirdly think I might actually enjoy the on the island plot of episode three a little bit more than the boar hunt in episode four. I agree, yeah. Which, to, to kind of go to another character who we've talked about a lot, uh, I actually uh, found Sawyer to be much more, not likable in these episodes, but more interesting, because right. other than his one conversation with Zaid, he's not quite as explicitly terribly <laughs> racist. But yeah. his kind of, like, energy that he's bringing where he's kind of like, Hey man, like we we've left civilization, and I'm like in the wild west now. I kind I I find that like interesting, and right. like I get that he's kind not like a, explicitly a chaos agent, but he's more kind of like, hey, we gotta do what we gotta do, and it might not always be easy. Right. I find that to be a much more interesting kind of character development, and I just wish they hadn't made him so racist at the start. Yeah, yeah, I. I do think that they, they committed a little bit too hard to making him intensely unlikable in that first episode. Because part of, part of a lot of what this, this season, and I, I would, I would argue subsequent seasons is doing a, a job of, you know, making, fleshing him out and making, like giving him humanity. And I think we get a glimpse of that here when I, I, I was very surprised by how narratively effective I still found the scene when, uh, you know, Kate is basically it's seemingly giving the gun to Mars to shoot himself. That's kind of how that's being narratively positioned. Um, as Kate's walking away and we hear the gunshot and then we hear gasping, I think. And, you know, we find out that it's actually Sawyer who shot him, but missed his heart. And the look on Sawyer's face, like the, the performance that Josh Holloway is giving in that moment and the moments after it is really, really good. He's, oh, I mean, yeah. also this is something that we haven't, fully touched upon I think and that will be like I think one of the best things about this show is the performances are really really good and <laughs> they're going to keep being really really good but I think he's he's starting to do the narrative work of adding depth to this character because we see compassion there. like we do we see him like feeling awful and feeling like he he did something wrong um, and that when, is yeah. a Seward's folly <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good and by good, I mean terrible. Um, but yeah, so I guess other yeah narrative things that I I, I completely forgot that we sh- we can touch upon is, uh, you know the the effort to put up the to triangulate the signal right as uh, I believe on the boar hunt as they're coming back after um, after Michael has been been wounded. Uh, you know, Kate's trying to put up something, and seemingly they hear the quote monster. Uh, and she breaks that thing, and you know Said is both frustrated when she comes back, but then also they seem to be resilient, which I think is a is a is a fun narrative moment of like they could have created this artificial tension between Said and Kate of like Said blaming Kate and being very upset with her, but 
realizing that in order for this to work, they're all going to have to be banding together. And like, they can't be fighting as Saeed has been trying to... What what did you think of Saeed, I guess, in these episodes? Because he's also doing quite a quite a bit of other stuff that I think is interesting. Uh, I don't... I might not have as many thoughts on as it on on him as you do. He he kind of takes over, not like takes over as kind of like a leader, but is kind of like, hey, this is like the logistical bullshit we have to do right now so that we all survive. Like, let's split into teams, each one be in charge of one thing. So he, you know, kind of is trying to do the logistical work, whereas Jack has kind of been like, I guess you would say maybe kind of like the moral leader and the one people keep looking to right. for guidance, kind of. So... And being kind of the brains of keeping everyone alive is kind of what his role is so far. Yeah, I also think, I guess, yeah, what I what I was getting at is, like, because I forgot that there's so much that happens in these two episodes, right, that we pick up with them trying to figure out uh, what they need to tell everyone else about the respective, uh, you know, message that they heard. And Saeed kind of being the de facto leader when it comes to you know, arguably lying to everyone else, but also to try, like, you know, that hope is, like, the most powerful thing that they have right now, and they can't lose that. And a lot of the, you know, behind-the-scenes work that Saeed is doing to tell these people respective things, but also tell Jack something, and then have Kate tell Jack that's kind of the same thing. There's a lot of really interesting, yeah, leadership dynamics, I think, that are emerging here that are definitely not going to disappear because there has to kind of be a leader of a, of, of these people. Um, and so I think there's there's just a lot of really interesting um, tensions that are occurring across characters that um, it's just getting deepened, I think. Like, we've really only seen Jack around, like, basically Hurley and Kate for the most part, at least, uh, you know, one-on-one. And so we're starting to just see a lot of characters one-on-one with each other that I think is is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm interested in getting kind of like different pair-ups as this goes on and seeing kind of how that plays out over time. Yeah. Which again, to briefly bring up Dexter, that was kind of one of the underrated things that I think it did not really do well is that we didn't have a lot of unique characters pairing up and going exactly. on adventures, which I hope we get better in this. I, I I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this show does a much better job at that than Dexter <laughs> does. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Is it time for the segment segment? It is. All right. What should we start with, Eric? Um, that's a good question. Do since we just talked about Dexter, do we want to talk about uh, what Quinn would be doing in these episodes? Absolutely. <laughs> do you want to start or should I? You should start. Okay. So one of the kind, one of the B C plots of the third episode is kind of like you said, Laka trying to help Michael get Walter's dog back. Right. And I think kind of after they get the dog back, I, I would absolutely love a scene of like Joey Quinn trying to teach Vincent tricks and Vincent just not <laughs> listening to him at all. And then Quinn kind of like walks away and you hear him telling somebody else like, that dog's stupid. He doesn't know how to do anything. And then you see just like Walter asking him to do the exact same tricks and he just does them immediately. Yes, I, I like that a lot. I think... So because you did an episode three one in episode four, I actually think that Quinn would have been on the walkabout uh, it like waiting in that in that car because he was there to pick up Australian chicks. <laughs> and he was the one that encouraged John Locke to not be able to come with them because <laughs> he's an <laughs> asshole. So that's but then that's somehow what... Quinn got kicked off for a different reason, which yeah. is why they're on the same plane. 
<laughs> right. Um, also, I don't know how Quinn would have been able to afford getting to Australia, but that's a whole other question. Because uh, he's a slum landlord. That <laughs> is... you forgot from season three. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, he's a total... Yeah, he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, so I mean, he would do it because I think even though... Even though people were, you know, being very mean to John Locke, I do think that he's like, we need one less man on this trip to increase my odds. <laughs> I do think that that is where that came from. Oh, I like that. And then they could have, like, this underlying tension where Locke doesn't know that Quinn got him kicked off. And if he hadn't, <laughs> right. then he wouldn't have crashed on the island. But then Daniel. he wouldn't also be able to walk. So maybe it was a good thing. Daniel, we're writing fan fiction right now. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm here for. It's fine. Our Joey I just think Quinn that... lost fan fiction that literally nobody has ever asked for. <laughs> that is really true. Although now, because we've committed to this, we have to we have to continue this being like that. That there is that underlying tension. So we need to carry that over through subsequent episodes. We're, we're this building is our the head lore. now. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um. What do you want to do next? Uh, let's move on to Daniel's conspiracy theory of the week. Let's do it. All right, in this one, I'm going to... I don't really have anything concrete here, but there's a small exchange between Jack and Hurley in episode three that I thought was very funny, but that I also think might be a smoking gun, mm. which is where uh, Jack's talking about, like, the monster that was chasing them, and Hurley's like, was it a dinosaur? And Jack's <laughs> like, no. He's like, well, did you see it? And he's like, no. Then he's like, well, how do you know it wasn't a dinosaur? <laughs> and Jack's like, because dinosaurs are extinct. <laughs> And Hurley's just like, oh, that, 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 <laughs> that, that kind of mantra of, well, it can't be a dinosaur because dinosaurs are extinct. That feels like something that, that might come around and have some more importance than it might in initially seem. I'm not saying there's going to be dinosaurs on the island, but okay. that sort of line of logic, well, it can't be that because so-and-so, that seems like something that might be twisted around. Okay, so I'm going to write down as your prediction that Daniel is not ruling out dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, that's, that's one way of phrasing it, yes. <laughs> I know that that's not what you said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to word it that way because that's more fun. As we go back over these, that one's going to be fun if we can't remember exactly what my headspace <laughs> was. Or just like, all right, that seems like something I would say. Right. Or like, yeah, when like in the next episode, actually, dinosaurs are revealed. And then it's you just you, you, you got it right. But um... hell yeah, from downtown. <laughs> um, what do we want to do next? Um, I don't think I want to change any character names this time. We already went over our Seward's folly. So I guess I'll just briefly say that besides that scene where he... Uh, feels bad about not effectively killing the bounty hunter. I also really enjoyed the scene where he was talking with Kate earlier about how he was so happy that she took the gun from him because now the onus is kind of on her. Right. I just thought that was a really enticing scene between the two of them where he's kind of just laying out this moral dilemma, but mm -hmm. then he also like ultimately is like, I'll take the responsibility. I'll do it. Yeah. No, it's... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, there's there's a lot of really good character moments with... So I mean Sawyer in these two episodes that or especially in the third episode that I think is is very underrated. All right, so Eric, uh, this will be this will be kind of a fun on again off again segment depending on uh, what exactly was going on in the world back in the day. But uh, let let me take you back back to two thousand four and what was going on around the time that the pilot episode of Lost was airing. 
on the same date that the pilot episode of Lost aired, the pilot episode of a- another popular show aired, uh, Veronica Mars. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I, another show that I have not seen, but I've heard is pretty great. Uh, maybe we'll get to it someday. But yeah, these two shows both debuted at the same time. They're part, they're part of the same graduating class. Nice. Yeah, Veronica Mars, I've uh, only seen the pilot of uh, in, a, in a class back in the day. And I do remember it being uh, one of the better pilots I've ever seen. It's very, very good. As for any of the other three dates that the episodes we talked about aired, nothing particularly exciting. Yeah, that's that's fair. I got I got nothing else. I don't think so either. I, we're we're just starting to really dig into this world. Four episodes in, I'm so excited to keep watching. My fiance was like, "Can we watch more Lost?" And I'm like, "We cannot yet. I must maintain the integrity of the podcast and not watch ahead." Right. It's like I feel like you would view like I feel like at each respective episode that you're watching, you're gonna you would have a completely different opinion on the respective things that occurred. As we've talked about, there's a lot of things that, um, especially narratively that are occurring on the island that you're slowly starting. I can maybe not get more answers, but you're starting to get more complications for sure. Yeah. So I we'll be back next week after two more episodes at this snail's pace as we slowly make our way into this island journey see what happens next time. All right, until then, this has been The Autopsy of Damon Lindelof, your most favorite lost watch slash rewatch podcast, depending on which of us you most strongly identify with. Uh, we'll try to cut a little bit deeper next week. Until then, I'm Daniel. And I'm Eric. Goodbye, y'all. Bye. Bye.